What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com consulting. IBM. Let's create. There are plenty of things to be thankful for this Thanksgiving. If you're an investor, you're particularly grateful for the dividend stocks that promise a regular stream of income. Those dividends look all the more attractive given that bond payouts have been falling for years. But dividends aren't so simple, and there are a few things that investors should know before jumping in. I'm Alex Yule. Today on The Readback, I'm joined by Barron's writer, Lawrence Strauss, who spent the last several years covering the ins and outs of dividends. Hey, Lawrence. Hey, Alex. Nice to be here. There's certain things on Barron's.com that we just really know are going to resonate with our readers. Tesla, Apple, Bitcoin, those things get generally pretty huge readership. But there's one more that just is always up there, and that's stories about dividend-paying stocks. Why do you think that is? I think one basic reason is that dividends are easy to understand. You can see it. It's tangible. And a lot of finance isn't that tangible. And this is one thing you can really grab hold of and and understand. So if a company pays a 2% dividend yield or a 3% dividend yield, you kind of know you're going to get that money at the end of the year. And of course, with everything else in stocks, nothing's a sure thing. Correct. In this market, uh, most companies have been holding their dividends stable or, in many cases, raising them. So it certainly adds a stability factor to their investments. All right. And let's step back for a minute and just tell us where are they coming from? How are they calculated? Give us kind of a primer on dividends. Sure. Dividends are paid out by companies from their cash. They have what's called free cash flow. And from that, they can pay capital expenses. They can buy other companies. They can pay down debt. But they can also return capital to shareholders. And the two main ways to do that are buying back stock or paying out a dividend. And essentially, dividends, they're calculated as as part of earnings. It's a way to think of them because as earnings go up, generally the dividends go up with them. But essentially, it's money that the companies make, and when they have a bit left over, they can return some of it to shareholders. So essentially, I mean, companies aren't forced to pay dividends, right? No. There's no one saying you have to pay a dividend, but it's common practice these days. So it's almost a thank you to, to shareholders. Correct. And there's a sense that shareholders have invested in the company, and here's one way to pay shareholders back. And obviously, you want your stock price to go up, too. But yes, it is a way to say thank you. And in terms of how we calculate this, just to give it a quick explainer, if a company pays 25 cents each quarter, they're paying a dollar for the year. How do you then calculate the yield? So the yield would be you would take that dollar that's paid out in dividends and divide it by the share price. So if it's a $10 stock price, so it would be $1 divided by the $10 stock price. So it's a 10% yield, which would be quite high. Which would be very generous. Let's actually put dividend yields in context. So you mentioned 10%. But what's the typical dividend yield today? Right now, Alex, it's about 2% for the S&P 500 on average. It's slightly below that, but it's been trending around 2% for a while. And that sounds okay. I mean, it's certainly a lot better than I get in my checking account. But 2%, it's not really going to make or break me if that's what I need for income, right? 
Correct. But it is better than some of the alternatives out there. When you think about where the 10-year U.S. Treasury is right now, it's yielding below 1.8%. Okay. So right there, you're getting more than you would be for a very typical bond. And the 10-year Treasury, right, is kind of like your benchmark bond. It's a way to measure what interest is. Exactly. And it's a good yardstick for where interest rates are. And they have been much lower for various reasons. But even though 2% doesn't sound like a lot, it's still better than what you can get out there in some bond markets. Got it. But looking back, actually, there have been times in our history when dividend yields have been much higher. Absolutely. Going back to 1932, in the um, depths of the Great Depression, the uh, S&P's yield was over 18%, which reflects how stock prices were down terribly. So that was a huge yield, and that was uh, an aberration, really. It didn't last, but it was very high. There was another bump during the Great Recession of a decade ago in 2009 when the S&P's yield went above 4%. That didn't last long either, but obviously stocks cratered at that time, pushing the yield up. What's so fascinating is some of the best-known stocks out there, the ones we pay the most attention to, like Alphabet, Facebook, PayPal, don't even pay dividends. What do you think they're thinking? Well, Alex, it turns out that there are 78 companies right now in the S&P 500 that don't pay a dividend, and that's about 20%. So the reasons vary. Some prefer to buy back stock. Some are trying to pay down debt. Others just to like to keep their powder dry, as they say. They like to keep the cash on hand to make deals if, they, if it comes up. Or simply like investing in their own growth opportunities, right? Correct. Research and development, ways that you're going to grow the business. Absolutely. And for that reason, I think dividends are sometimes controversial, right? If a company is super fast growing, many of those companies don't actually pay a dividend. Absolutely. The, what you'll see is, especially younger companies, you see this in the tech sector a lot, Companies that are growing or perceived to be growing quickly and earlier in their development cycle will forego a dividend because they'll argue that, well, we have to take all this capital and plow it back into the company in order to get the growth we need, and they'll forego a dividend. And there's one particularly famous investor who takes a similar view, right? And that's Warren Buffett? Correct. Berkshire Hathaway has not paid a, I'm sorry, has not declared a dividend since 1967. So what, why? Well, Warren Buffett's argument is that he and his team, they can take that capital and deploy it better than you can. Got it. And then I guess the trade-off is if they deploy that capital better, they'll drive their stock price higher, and that's where you make your money. You'll get better returns on the stock. Okay. And there's also a perception among some of these companies that I came across in my reporting that if they do start to pay a dividend, they'll be regarded more as a slower growth company with, with fewer opportunities. Kind of an old line, mature company. Yeah, it's almost like a, a stigma. Now, not everyone agrees with this, but I did pick this up um, from multiple people. And it does seem to be a perception out there that if you start to pay a dividend, you get labeled a certain way. Right. Now, I guess the pushback to that would be Apple and Microsoft, which are now the $2 trillion plus market value companies. I've been growing like pretty significantly, at least their stock prices in the last year. They do pay dividends. Absolutely. And in the story we wrote a few weeks ago, we quoted uh, Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, uh, on a call in 2012 when they initiated their dividend. One of the things he said was that the company would be able to go after a uh, broader investor base. Because there's some investors out there that are just not that interested in a company if they don't pay a dividend. Correct. Since dividends seem so great in a lot of ways, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the the choices that companies are making in terms of dividends because you've pointed out in some of your coverage 
over time that dividends actually could probably be a lot bigger if companies weren't buying back so much of their stock. So how popular are stock buybacks? And, and why should we even be thinking about them in comparison to each other? Right. Well, a lot of the companies that don't pay dividends, they do buyback stock. Buybacks are very popular um, in corporate America today. And that's effectively taking the same cash pool that a company has, but instead of paying a dividend, they say, well, we're going to buy our own stock, in effect, giving each shareholder a little bit more of the company, Right. Right. And there are a couple reasons for this. There have been books written about this. There's a lot of debate on this. But one reason that I think companies prefer it over a dividend is that it's a bit more discretionary in that once you you commit to paying like a dollar a share every quarter and heaven forbid you have to cut that uh, because when you cut your dividend, you're going to take a big hit with your stock price. Investors will punish you. However, with buybacks, you can turn the spigot off and on a little more discreetly, and you don't quite have the same pushback uh, if you change it. So it seems like some companies prefer buybacks. Right. So dividends, kind of once you start, you you just can't stop without seeing the stock price punished. Right. I remember I did an interview with Jeff Immelt, who was the longtime CEO of GE a long time ago. This was probably back in about 2012. And I asked him what was the hardest decision you ever had to make? And he said, cutting the dividend during the financial crisis. Wow. So it's a big deal. And GE, of course, was famous for never cutting its dividend for decades, right? Right, yeah. And I guess that was the first cut. Yes. They've had a cut a few more times since. They have. They have. They've um, had other other problems since, and now it's down to about a penny on a quarterly basis, penny a share. So interestingly, the dividend was sort of like a a sign. The fact that they had to cut the dividend, that was probably the high watermark for GE. Right. So that game over aspect that investors take to cutting the dividend, is that a, is that a fair response? Interesting you ask that because I have come across some research recently that suggests that in the short term, it can be very damaging. Kraft Heinz cut their dividend in February of this year, and the stock definitely went down a lot. But the research was suggesting that over time, over the next year or two, a lot of these stocks actually can perform better once they get the bad news out of the way. Right. And could that be because at the time, the company simply couldn't afford the dividend, and so you pair it back, maybe then you get back to business, able to run the business a little more effectively? Yeah, yeah. it's an acknowledgement that things aren't going well. We need to deploy our capital elsewhere, or we need to save capital. So it's a bad sign short term, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad sign over the longer haul. And I imagine it's not that different than from a family cutting its budget, right? If they're, if they're meeting tough times, you cut back a little bit, it gives you a reset. That's not to say you can't go back to that expense right. at some point right. in time. You cut back on all those streaming subscriptions or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. I actually wanted to talk about retirement a little bit because you just had a cover story on that point and how retirees are maybe increasingly using dividends or how they should be using dividends to really pay for retirement. That's right. I did a story uh, about that. And there are a couple of approaches that we talked about. One was uh, people can try to build portfolios and live off the income. So in theory, you have a portfolio of dividend-paying stocks, and you're going to get the interest from those stocks. And if you have enough money, you can use that to supplement your your living. So you don't sell the stocks. You're basically, if you're doing well enough, you're just living off of the dividends that those stocks are throwing off. Right. And just to put that in perspective, you do have a stat in there, and obviously this is only for a small section of the population, but you point out that if you have a $5 million portfolio paying a 2% dividend yield, you're getting, before tax, about $100,000 a year. Right, but you need a fair amount of capital to support that. And then the other uh, approach was more what's called a total return approach, where people, 
and and advisors and and retirees they try to build up a portfolio where they're not trying to just pick out dividends to lift off of rather they're they're trying to have their portfolio grow in wealth and they do that by stock prices going up and they get the income and that leads to a higher value of the portfolio and then they they can tap into their portfolio as needed it's a little bit of a more holistic approach. Okay. And I think that's an important thing to point out here. If you're an investor, what you make on a dividend, of course, is only one function of how you can make money in the stock market. Absolutely. You, you make money with total return, as it's known, and that's both from the dividend, which can be reinvested, which often is reinvested, plus the capital appreciation, which essentially involves the stock price going up. And of course, that's what we spend so much time at Barron's writing about. I mean, we'll write about the dividend, but what we're really often focused on is how an earnings report or some other event moves the stock price up or down. That's right. But when you look at historical returns, total returns, dividends do make up a big chunk of total return. So that's fascinating to me. We're spending so much time, not just us, but I think our readers and in general talking about stocks by looking at these day-to-day moves, these year-to-date moves, all those sorts of things. But what you're saying is that in the end, it's really these kind of boring dividends that drive shareholder returns? Well, they certainly contribute to it. It's a big, big piece of it. It's not all of it, but I think it's it gets overlooked because it's very common. and Boring. You know, kind of boring. Quarterly dividend, kind of boring. Yeah. But over time, those dividends can get reinvested and they can really help get those returns a lot higher. And when you say reinvested, what do you mean by that? Well, that's when... Instead of taking that dividend check as a shareholder and putting it into your bank account, you can reinvest it into a holding you have or into the stock you hold. So it goes back into your portfolio. Okay. So if Procter & Gamble is paying me my dividend and I'm a Procter & Gamble shareholder, I'll tell whoever's holding my stock, hey, I don't want that check each quarter. I want you to just buy more P&G stock with that dividend. And is that the way a lot of investors use their dividends? It really depends on what they, they're looking for. I mean, obviously, some people who depend on income will take that income um, as it comes in and uh, use that to for their living expenses Got or it. to help their living expenses. But a lot of people, especially who aren't in retirement, who are looking to build assets for retirement, will reinvest dividends. Okay. So you spend most of your time looking at companies and their dividends, how they pay them, how they change them. Putting that all together, how would you let that inform sort of an investing strategy? I mean, where in the priority list of investing should dividends land? I think they should land pretty high in the um, priority list for an investor because there's a lot of things you have to consider when you're looking at a company and its prospects, its growth prospects, its margins. There's a lot that goes into it. But when you look at the dividend policy, do they pay a dividend? If they do pay a dividend... How consistent have they been? If they don't pay a dividend, what are the reasons for not paying a dividend? Are those legitimate reasons? There's a lot that goes into that decision, whether to pay one. And then once they're paying it, you have to sort of monitor how consistently they've been paying. But I think it's a very good way to assess a company, but it's not the only way. And to some degree, I would think if, if you're this type of investor, you might think the dividend kind of keeps a company honest to some degree, right? Absolutely. That's a common argument I hear uh, for dividends that it means that management has its capital. It can signal that the company's management has its capital priority figured out properly, and it's a good sign. And it's a reminder that, hey, we work for you, the shareholder, not for ourselves. Right. All right. Thanks so much, Lawrence. Nice to be here. 
To read Lawrence's ongoing coverage of dividends, check out barons.com. I'm Alex Yule. The Readback is produced by Meta Lutzhoff. The show will return next week. Until then, have a great Thanksgiving. This episode is brought to you by Charles Schwab. Decisions made in Washington can affect your portfolio every day. But what policy changes should investors be watching? Washington Wise is an original podcast for investors from Charles Schwab that unpacks the stories making news in Washington and how they may affect your finances and portfolio. Listen at schwab.com slash Washington Wise.